0: Well, good evening everybody. Great to be with you tonight. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to Romans chapter six. Gives me great joy to invite you to turn back to Romans. We spent an entire year there in 2019 and really thankful to be back uh, just for one week in the book of Romans as we're walking through the Bible in 2020. But we'll we'll, uh, get to Romans chapter six in just a minute. I wanna remind you of a couple things. I hope that we never tire of watching baptism. Uh, Whether you're here live, or you're watching uh, on the worship guide online, I hope that as a church, it never grows old to watch baptism and to celebrate what we just witnessed. Now remember, let me just remind you a couple things. Pastor Austin said it really well, but just wanna remind you. Every time we see baptism, it's a declaration of some things that are true. It's a declaration that Jesus Christ died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. We get to celebrate resurrection life every time we see baptism. And man, that ought to just encourage our hearts. And the other thing we see anytime we see a new believer being baptized is we see a transformed life. We see someone who's gone from darkness to light by the power of the gospel, that the resurrection of Jesus is not just some historical event, he is changing lives still today by the power of the gospel. And every time we witness that, it ought to just warm and encourage and challenge our hearts that the gospel message is a message of transformation. Aren't you glad? And let me just say this, are you here and aren't you glad that the gospel transforms lives? Amen. Let's never grow tired or weary of that reality. So one of the things we do as a church, we wanna pray for our brother Gabe, our new brother in Christ and his public profession now and Christ. And anytime someone's baptized, again, it's a public testimony of their relationship with Jesus, but it's also a public testimony of their relationship with the body of Christ. We now have a responsibility back to young Gay to walk with him and encourage him and spur him on and challenge him in this new relationship with the Lord Jesus. So why don't you just join me in a word of prayer? Don't just listen to me pray. You pray for this young man, Gabriel Canfield, and his new journey in walking with the Lord Jesus. And I'd also encourage you to pray this. Lord, give us many more baptisms. Lord, let us see many more people come to Christ as we lead people to Christ. Amen. the waters of baptism are alive and active in our church, amen. So why don't you just pray with me? Father, our hearts are full tonight. Lord, I thank you for the vivid picture that baptism is. And Lord, I thank you for the picture of the reality that Jesus has died, buried, and he has risen from the dead. And God, I praise you that that reality that occurred 2,000 years ago is changing, changing the lives of men and women today. And Lord, we pray for young Gabriel. God, I I thank you for his family. I thank you for bringing them to this church. Lord, I thank you for his profession of faith. Lord, I thank you that he's come to a place of faith and repentance in you. and Lord, you've saved him. And God, I pray now for his joy and his walk with you. I pray that he will continue and growing in Christ's likeness. God, I pray he will pursue the things of grace. Lord, the the body of Christ, and the fellowship of believers. And God, I pray you use him to make you known. Lord, wherever he goes, wherever you send him, Lord, I pray that he's used by you to be a living witness that Jesus is alive. And God, I pray that's true of every one of us here tonight. We love you We praise you. And All God's people said together, amen, amen. Well, go ahead and find your place there in Romans chapter 6. I'm going to just read a few verses uh, for us. Uh, Read down through verse 4 or 5, and then we're going to walk through this incredible chapter in the book of Romans. If you've been following along in the reading plan, which I really hope you are, uh, you've spent your week in the book of Romans this past week. There's so much here to glean from and meditate on and pray through, but we're going to spend some time in Romans chapter six tonight for just a few minutes, and then we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper together tonight as a church family as well. So, a really special night, glad you're here. The Apostle Paul writes this, and we'll give some context and background and walk through it in just a minute, but let's just read, you just kinda follow along, the words will be on the screen. Romans chapter six, beginning in verse one. Paul writes, what shall we say then? Are we, believers, to continue in sin that grace may abound. We'll talk about all that he means of that in just a minute. And he answers his own question. He says, by no means. In other words, how can we who died to sin, believers, born again, transformed, children of God. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Verse three, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead. This is incredible. Just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Man, incredible realities from the pages of scripture in Romans chapter six. Now to kind of get our hands around what Paul is saying here, I, I wanna bring you into a little drama that's going on in the Lauren house, all right? So just a few days ago, somebody in our live group, Laura Ann Mitchum brought us a gift and she brought us two of them and she brought them to our two uh, smallest girls. And here's what she brought us. Go ahead and put that first picture up on the screen. She brought us a couple of these little characters. That's a caterpillar, right? And the idea was, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna take care of this caterpillar over the next two weeks and before your very eyes, if you, you know, keep it in a warm spot, do everything you're supposed to do, you're gonna get to watch transformation before your very eyes. Now, listen, I've been in school, I grew up, I'm just like you, I've heard caterpillars are transformed, they turn into butterflies, but can I be honest with you, I've never got to watch it like I've gotten to watch it the last couple weeks, it's amazing. So this little caterpillar, after a couple days, it took on this next form. It takes on what's called the the J formation. So it hangs upside down on the lid of this little container and we were all excited when it got in that formation because you know when that happens, something's very soon about to happen. It's about to go into its cocoon. Couple hours after this, boom, here's what happened. Go to the next slide. That happened. This little J formation became this incredible cocoon and inside this cocoon over about eight or nine days, in effect this little caterpillar dies. It is transformed and what comes out a few days later is not, what's this, is not a new and improved caterpillar. (laughs) It is a completely new creation that did not exist in the same way before. It's a beautiful picture and here's what happened just today. This afternoon, i have gone out in the garage, and bam, there comes the monarch butterfly out of the cocoon and is ready to take flight. Now, that's been pretty exciting in our home. I'll just be honest. You say, you all need to watch more TV or something. That's real exciting to you. But it's been fascinating to watch this transformation happen because here's the reality of this picture that God has built into creation itself is this reality What came out of that cocoon is not a caterpillar with wings. It is is now a fundamentally different creature than it was before. God has given us a picture of transformation. What I want you to hear tonight, and what I pray changes the way you leave here in just a few minutes, is the reality that the gospel message of Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected is a message of transformation. Transformation. It is a message that transforms lives. I pray it has transformed your life. It's not just an event that we remember. It's not just a prayer we pray. It is a radical transformation of every area of our lives. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter six, and really throughout the entire book of Romans, is writing, probably more clear than is anywhere in the New Testament, in the book of the book of Romans, the reality that Jesus Christ, the God-man, died for our sin, was buried, was raised on the third day, and this is a message that is absolutely transformational. Aren't you glad? I mean, aren't you glad that if you are here and you are in Christ, you're not the person you used to be? Now maybe you're not the person you're going to be, and we are in process of being transformed, but by the grace of God, you're not the man or woman you used to be before Christ. You have been transformed by the reality of the death and the burial and the triumphant resurrection of King Jesus. Listen, that is incredible news. I pray we never get over it. So Paul writes in the book of Romans, and again, we spent an entire year there, Book of Romans gives the clearest, most profound explanation of the Gospel and its implications into every area of life that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. Incredible year we spent last year walking through Romans. If you sum up the first few chapters of the Book of Romans, it's like this. Paul declares in the first few chapters of Romans this, that we as human beings are more wicked, more sinful, more dead in our sin than we ever dreamed we were. He declares a verdict on every human being that we are dead in our sins. There is none righteous, not even one. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So on one end, the book of Romans begins with this reality. We are more wicked than we ever imagined we were. But then he moves on into chapter three and chapter four, and he declares an opposite reality that's this, that the grace of God in Jesus Christ is more sufficient to save than we could ever hope for. That's the good news of the gospel. We're more wicked than we could ever imagine, but the grace of God is more sufficient to save through Jesus Christ than we could ever hope for. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That's why Paul declares in Romans chapter one, verse 16, you know this verse, I am not ashamed of the gospel. How could you be? How could we be? This message that declares, man, we're more wicked than you could ever imagine. But at the same time, the grace of God is more sufficient in Christ to redeem and save than we could ever hope for. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the message of the gospel for it is the power of God. For salvation, transformation, all that's involved in that, for everyone who believes. Jew first, also the Greek. You've been reading through Romans this week. I hope a couple things have been going through your mind. There's a couple questions you've got to wrestle with when you come to the book of Romans. It's this. Number one, I just ask, have you been transformed by the message of the gospel? Are you fundamentally different person now because of your faith and who Jesus is and what Jesus Christ has done? Second question, maybe even more applicable for you and I tonight. You say, well, how, how do I know for sure? And don't, don't go back to some prayer you prayed in the past. The, God, the, the book of Romans helps us to understand if we've ever been transformed by the gospel, watch this, we are daily continuing to be transformed by the gospel. There are implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ that impact and transform every area of your life. Is that happening? Is that happening in my life? Is that happening in your life? So when you come to Romans chapter six, that's a question you have to ask because Paul is going to get down in the nitty gritty of our lives and say, look, if you've really been transformed by Christ, if you are this new creation, watch this, here's the point then you will have a fundamentally brand new, different relationship with sin in your life. The way you handle sin, the way you deal with sin, the power sin has over you will be fundamentally different as a believer because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel in your life. Is that true for you and for me? i just gonna tell you, Romans six is one of the most painfully practical chapters anywhere in the Bible, right? Because the reality for us is this, every broken relationship, every selfish act, every shattered life, every act of racism, every debilitating addiction can be traced back to our battle with sin. Paul says, look, if you've been transformed by Christ. The power of the gospel is daily at work in you in your battle with sin. So that's good news. So help us, Paul. Help us walk through that. Help us see how that's going to play out in our lives. And that's what he does in chapter six. So look with me. We'll walk through this chapter quickly. Now, the argument he's going to make actually begins in verse 20 of chapter five. He says this, in light of all the gospel truth that he shared about who Christ is, he says this, but where sin has increased or where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's good news. The idea that he's saying there in 520 is this, we cannot out the grace of God. Aren't you glad? The grace of God in Christ, the death of the Lord Jesus is immensely sufficient to cover any and all sin in the life of the believer. What's this? Past, present, and future. That's gospel reality. You are in Christ, beloved. Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Wow, Paul, that's amazing. Now, if that's a reality, we got some serious questions, and that's what Paul deals with in chapter 6, verse 1. Okay, how about this one? What shall we say then? Paul's gonna put forth an argument that he knows is being asked. Maybe you've wrestled with this. I know you've had conversations with people about this. Listen, if you believe in this idea of the grace of God and total redemption, total forgiveness that's in Christ, what about sin? What happens when you sin? How do you deal with sin as a believer? Paul's gonna deal with that, chapter 6, verse 1. What do we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, Paul, if you're declaring the more we sin, the more grace abounds, here's an idea let's just sin it up, let's just sin all we can. There's a lot of false notions that have come from that very mindset that in the life of a believer, the pursuit of holiness and dealing with sin in the life of of a believer like, like us is not that important. It's insignificant. Man, it's all about grace, man. What's the big deal? We've got an imbalance sometimes in this pursuit of holiness. Paul says, listen, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Let me translate. Is our relationship with sin as a believer any different than it was as a non-believer? Absolutely, Paul says. What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse two, by no means. May it never be. Paul, in one of the strongest negatives that he can use, says, absolutely not. And he answers it this way, how can we who have died or who died to sin still live in it. Paul declares a life-shaping gospel reality for you and I here tonight, and I hope you grasp this. He says, we we have a fundamentally transformed relationship to sin now as a believer, we have died to it. What does that mean? The idea that we continue in pursuit and acceptance and practice of sin is inconceivable to Paul because he says you're not who you used to be. It would be the idea of this butterfly, and I'm going back to my butterfly analogy, right, of even though it's now a butterfly, getting down in the ground and groveling around as if it were still a caterpillar, and you look, what are you doing? That's not even who you are. The same idea that we choose to continue in sin as believers and not struggle is the idea of groveling in who we used to be instead of who we are now in Christ. Verse three, Paul says, do you not know? since there's some things you don't know, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, and we're gonna talk about that. Let me stop right here for just a second. The the idea of baptism here is not particularly talking about the act of baptism itself, but the gospel reality that is pictured in baptism. Baptism is a picture of, That water that's in that tank, I can guarantee you might cancel or ran it out of the same tap that's in your house a few hours earlier. The waters of baptism have no transforming power. It is a symbol of the transforming power in Christ. So Paul is using baptism as a picture of gospel realities. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Wow. Paul, there's some fundamental life-shaping realities about the gospel. When Jesus Christ died, you died with him. When Jesus Christ raised from the dead as a believer by faith and faith alone, you rose to a newness of life with Christ. Incredible! If I'm reading along, I've got to be real honest, I come to that and I go, how in the world is that possible? I mean, the reality is that that means I'm fundamentally different than I was before Christ, right? How's that possible? Verse five, Paul's going to help us. He says, for, and in your English Bibles, anytime you, often, not always, but many times you come to the word for, the word for is a, is a foundational word that's gonna say, okay, here's the foundational truth to support what I just said. How can you declare what I just said to be true about dying with Christ, raising with Christ? How's that true? Verse five, for, if or since, for since we have been united with him, Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What does that mean, Paul? Verse 6 We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved. The sin, wow. So here's what I'm trying to do. The time we have remaining, there's just so much here. I just gotta tell you, as a, as a communicator, one of the frustrating things about coming to a passage like Romans is I don't even scratch the surface. I'm gonna give you a big truth and three big ideas that flow out of this big truth that Paul declares to be a reality. Here's your big truth. By faith, we live in union with Jesus Christ himself. By faith, we as believers, followers of Jesus, you are living in a union, a living union with the person of Jesus Christ himself. Paul says it: you have been united with him. You have been united with him, therefore, in his death. You have been united with him in his resurrection. Paul, what in the world does this mean? Verse three, just go back to this. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What what does that mean? Again, I mentioned that Paul's using the word baptism as a picture here. The word baptizo, the original word, has the idea of being immersed into something. The word baptism also has the idea of being identified with something. It's like saying, I'm all in. The reason we practice water, baptism, and immersion is because it's the model the Bible gives us, but it pictures salvation as a complete immersion and identification with the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means to be identified with. You you use this phrase like this sometimes. You'll say, if somebody's having a real hard time, you'll say, man, they're going through a baptism of fire, right? You say stuff like that. It doesn't mean they're Skin's on fire, it means they're in the middle of, they're identified with, they're immersed into something. So baptism pictures this immersion into Christ. This union idea with Jesus is just a fascinating declaration of what's a reality for us as believers. You're in living union with Christ. We try to illustrate the significance of that. So 25 years ago, Jennifer and I were married, right? We, we tied the knot. We, we were married and we entered into what is called a marriage union. Meaning, it's not just a contract. M- marriage is a union. It's not just, okay, if I do my part and you do my, your part, you know, it'll all work out. No, no, no. It's a covenant. And a covenant means a marriage union is the intertwining of lives to the point that you can't hardly tell when one stops and the other starts. It's this intertwining of lives of human beings. This oneness that takes place, demonstrated by a marriage union, Paul says, is now true of you in Christ. You are in this oneness, this union with the Lord Jesus that you now, this is immense. We now share in the very life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in union with him. Paul uses the phrase throughout the New Testament in Christ. He's saying we are immersed into him. We are united with him. His life is now our life. Salvation is not just a mental ascent to something that you believe. You enter into a whole new life. You are now in union with the God of the universe, King Jesus himself. You are not the person you used to be. Minutes. Take the marriage illustration just a step further. When you're in union, when you're in a marriage union, what that means in effect is we share everything as husband and wife, meaning if something happens to me in many ways, it also happens to Jennifer. So for example, if I go out tomorrow and I win a million dollars, guess what? Jennifer won a million dollars. And don't think she's not gonna let me know that really quick. It's us, we're in union. What union means, you have a shared life. Therefore, Paul declares something to be true by nature of this union that we now have with the Lord Jesus Christ, here are the implications of that. And I'm gonna give them to you in a few big ideas that flow out of that. Just immense realities of what we share with Jesus. Here are your gospel implications of our union. Number one, united with Jesus, Paul says, we are dead to sin. The reason is, when Jesus died, we died, what does the Bible say? With him. So we now have a completely, fundamentally, new relationship with sin. We have died to it, verse two. Paul declares, How can we who died to sin still live in it? He declares an implication of our union with Jesus. We've died to sin. Christ died to sin. We were with him. We were in him. We've died to sin. What does that mean? Let me try to give you some practical applications of the significance of that. First, let me share with you what it doesn't mean. (laughs) You're going to be really frustrated if you read a passage like Romans and you think, okay, here's what that means. Followers of Christ, uh, we'll never sin. Wrong, we will. It's not this idea of sinless perfectionism. That's not a reality until Jesus returns and makes us completely righteous. So it's not that we never sin. Number two, it doesn't mean that there's times that we never want to sin nor does it mean that the struggle with sin gets easier. Listen, as a follower of Jesus and you're pursuing Christ and the spirit of God is within you, don't be surprised if your struggle with sin gets greater and stronger, but there's a struggle. That's evidence of the spirit of Jesus inside of you. So then Paul, what does it mean that we have died to sin? Well, thank goodness, Paul helps us with this. Look at verse six. He gives an explanation of what he's saying. By the way, as you're reading the Bible and you come to an obscure passage or a verse that doesn't make sense, don't close your Bible and say, I'm never gonna figure that out. Keep reading. The Bible interprets the Bible. So verse six, Paul says, let me tell you what I mean. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Paul, what does that mean? old self it's the idea that phrase old self refers to our very identity before Christ it is our unregenerate nature that we inherited from Adam before Christ we are in Adam that unregenerate fallen nature inherited that we all are born into my sin loving self centered rebellious self that old self that always puts me on the throne of my life That old self that's described, if you wanna look this up, you can, Ephesians chapter two, it's not gonna be on the screen. Ephesians two, verses two and three describes this old self a little bit says, we who formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too formerly walked in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. Here's a glorious declaration. Paul says that old you was crucified with Jesus. How in the world could we be ashamed of the gospel? In other words, the crucifixion of Christ for the believer is not merely an event in the past that we agree to. By nature of our union in Christ now, we died with him. And Paul declares the implications of that are now that our old self was crucified with him. He keeps going. In order that, to bring about that the body of sin, what's that? He's talking about our human body. The instrument with which we carry out sin is our human body. We use our mind, we use our eyes, we use our hands. These are the instruments by which we carry out sin. He says, In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. What does that mean? The word nothing here means rendered powerless. In other words, the same sway and influence and power that sin had on you before a Christian is no longer a reality in your life. You have been set free from the power of sin. You are dead to it. I mean, you could take the analogy even further and say, go try to tempt a dead man. Go try to lure a corpse of a dead person into sin. You're going, oh, that's absolutely foolish. He's dead. Paul says in, in the same way, that is who we are now in Christ. We are dead to the power of sin. End of verse six. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Present tense verb, a present tense reality of every. J.B. Phillips translates it this way, which is extremely helpful to me. Verse six, he says, let us never forget that our old selves died with him on the cross, and that the tyranny of sin over us might be broken. Your old master, sin is now a defeated enemy in Christ. That is a gospel implication that should transform every moment of every day of our lives. Isn't that glorious? Paul doesn't stop there. <laughs> keeps going. I mean, one implication is that united with Christ, we're dead to sin, but he keeps on going. Verse 7, for one, for one who has died has been set free from sin. The, the penalty of sin has been paid in full. The, power of sin is broken. You say, wait a minute, the presence of sin is not gone. That's right. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Sin still exercises a degree of sway in your life, but a gospel reality is this. It is no longer master. It has been defeated. That's not all. Paul gives us another big idea. Number two, here it is. United with Jesus, we are raised to new life. We are raised to new life. Not only have we died to our old self, and the power of sin, we've raised to walk in the newness of life. Verse four, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism, pictured by baptism into death, in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk. Word walk here is a word that's descriptive of your daily life, so that our daily life would be characterized by a newness of life that we did not have before Jesus Christ. We now walk by the nature of the resurrection, the Spirit of Jesus in us, in a holy life, a newness of life. Not a similar experience from the past, qualitatively different than who we were before. The Bible calls this regeneration, calls this new birth, Christ in us, Paul refers to it. The resurrection of Jesus is not merely a historical event, but a reality in which you and I share. We have been raised to walk in the newness of life. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says it this way. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It's a very good translation here. It says this. Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Wow. So I mean just let those things, let, let those gospel realities, I pray by the power of the Spirit, sink down into your life. I now live in union with the living Christ. His death was my death, therefore, I'm now dead to sin. Doesn't have the same sway that it had before. I've now been raised to a qualitatively new life in Christ. And watch this. Not a self-improvement plan. Do not allow the gospel to be hijacked by self-improvement. It's not self-improvement. It is a union with a new life, the life of Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, we've been raised to walk in the newness of this life. What does that look like? And what does that mean in our lives? What do do we pray and hope that looks like in our lives? As you read through the Bible and you read through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what it will look like. The life of Christ being pressed out through our lives. One of the characteristics and the realities that we know we've been born again is that our life is continually and progressively becoming more and more and more like the life of the Lord Jesus. It means for you and me that there will be this ever-increasing, selfless, other-seeking, seeking God-like love in our lives. We'll become to be more and more characterized by love. Not love as the world defines it, by the way, the Love the way Scripture defines it. Selfless, other-exalting, God-honoring. I want your good over my own be characterized by an ever-increasing Spirit-produced joy. It is true regardless of the circumstance. That's the life of Christ being pressed out through our lives. It'll be this ever-increasing peace, not that the world gives, even though living in the middle of a disintegrating world around us, believers are characterized by an unshakable peace. It's not my peace, Jesus says, his peace he gives to us, pressed out in our lives. It's an ever-increasing patience that allows us to bear with the faults and the weaknesses of others. Man, that's not always easy, is it? It's an ever-increasing courage that we are unashamed of the message of the gospel and are willing to go anywhere and pay any price so that the So that the world around us that has no hope can hear the message that is the only message of hope, the message of the gospel. Is your life increasing in that? It's this new quality of life that's in us because Christ is in us, we share his life. We have been declared righteous in Jesus and by the work of the spirit in us, we are becoming more righteous in our everyday life like Jesus by the work of the spirit. Dead to sin, raised to walk in the newness of life. And finally, I'm going to give you one final reality. United with Jesus, we're dead to sin, big idea number one. Big idea number two is this, United with Jesus, we're raised to walk in the newness of life. Now, let's stop right here and we'll get really practical. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> You say, Pastor Mike, I hear all of that. In fact, I read it in Romans this week and I've always read Romans 6 and I struggle with that a little bit because listen, we're not gonna lie in church. We're gonna be just really honest with each other. Pastor Mike, if I was honest, I'm struggling in my life with envy and greed and comparison and insecurity and lust and lovelessness. I'm not walking in my marriage like I wanna walk. man. There's this struggle in my life and you're telling me I'm dead to sin? The reality is that we as Christians struggle well because of the spirit of God within us, but the reality of the struggle is evidence of Christ in us. Big idea number three is this. I hope this helps you, is this. United with Jesus, sin is defeated, but it's not eliminated. Sin is defeated. That old master has been, he's, the old master of sin, we, we have died to that. Paul helps us, but, there, but there's still the residue of sin in our lives. There's still our old propensities to sin and there's still our old habits that we struggle with. and There's still our old thought patterns that are there and they're gonna continue. This struggle will continue by the power of his spirit until one day Jesus comes and makes us complete and one of the glories of heaven will be we're in his presence and the struggle with sin will be over aren't you glad? But now, verse 11, Paul says this, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Word consider is a practical application word. It means to continue to reckon, continue to claim it to be true. It it is the idea of Choosing to embrace the reality of something because God declares it to be true. Whether you feel like it, whether it looks like it or not, if you are in Christ, you have died to sin. Consider it to be true. It goes on into verse, verse 12. He says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions or its lusts. I don't know if you caught it here, but listen to the language. Reign, let not, it's battle language. There's warfare going on. Don't be surprised that it's a continual battle with sin as a believer, but we are battling from victory bought by the cross. I'm not trying to gain this ultimate victory. We have victory in Christ. We now walk in the power. We battle a defeated enemy. Sin is defeated, but it's not yet eliminated. One day it will be. Come, Lord Jesus. 1945, this is an illustration that may help us a little bit with this. But in 1945, the Empire of Japan was defeated by the Allied forces. The war was over. But for years and years that followed, battles continued to be fought with what were called holdouts. the Japanese army who didn't understand that the war was over and that they were fighting a battle that had already been won, and there were skirmishes that continued on, even until the last holdout did not surrender, watch this, until December 1974. There was guerrilla warfare that continued. That's your and my life and our continued battle with sin. How do we fight? Paul tells us continually rehearse what is true. Consider you are dead to sin, but you have been made alive in Christ. And in the same way Paul says in verse 13, do not present the members of to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. This is our body, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will not have dominion over you. Not under law, but under grace. We fight by constantly and continually considering what is gospel truth. we continually present ourselves to the God who has redeemed us and saved us as our constant act of worship before him all because Jesus died and Jesus rose again from the dead we'll close with this, John Newton said this the man who wrote so many hymns that we love and enjoy, former slave owner transformed by the gospel of Jesus he said this I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not yet what I hope to be. But by the cross of Jesus Christ, I am not what I used to be. I am a brand new creation in Christ. Pray with me, Father, thank you for gospel realities. Thank you for the implications of these things in our life. Or may we be different and live different in light of what is true. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.